1031 exchange accommodator is to be able to hold the funds for a 1031 exchange and help follow the guidelines in order to execute the movement of the funds. So instead of going to your personal account, you're able to keep the deferral going and what's called avoiding constructive receipt or actual receipt of the funds. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to us listeners. Today we have pleasure to talk to Brett Schwartz. Brett, how are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well, Socket. Thanks for having me on the show. Brett, where are you tuning in from, my friend? We have uh, two headquarters, uh, Taxifornia and Sacramento, and then we have St. Taxifornia. I love that name. I love that name. What was the other headquarters? Uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Awesome. Where are you located right now? St. Augustine, Florida. There you go, man. You have to because of the taxes again. Hey, again, Brett, thank you again, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation. You and I met probably back in at the best ever conference in 2022. That's really the workshop that you had led. It got me intrigued. And since then, I've been following up your work. And over the last few weeks, we have had several conversations. So I'm actually super excited to talk, to bring to, bring to you, to bring you to my guests. I can't get my words today right. So Brett, what, what we do in this show is a little bit different, man. What we want to start with is your migration journey. We're more interested in who you are and how you got to do what you do. And along the way, your introduction is getting teased out, right? So we actually do it in reverse. So with that said, I would love to hear from you your migration journey into the beautiful world of DSTs. Sure. Yeah, great question, Socket. So I think it starts at a young age, you know, falling in love with investment real estate and fall in love with the freedom it can provide for families and for people who want to build wealth uh, through cash flow, mm-hmm. mostly residential, multifamily properties in Northern California. I grew up in the Bay Area, my mom and dad, kind of Silicon Valley, East Bay, and building hundreds of homes. You know, as a youngster, just gleaning what it meant to work hard, what it meant to be an entrepreneur and see a project from start to finish mm-hmm. and what it could provide for families. Now, my parents are doing very well for a long time. But then also something happened where it was, it was kind of devastating for the family. They got divorced. And so I went from seeing or being a part of a lot of wealth to next to nothing because let's just say my dad didn't pay the child support he should have been paying over the years. But all things happened for a reason. And it gave me an opportunity to really pursue a passion for helping people get financial freedom so that they can have security in their families, so they can give to the causes they believe in most. And fast forward, I had an opportunity to study and practice multifamily investments at a place called Marcus and Millichap, where we help people buy and sell investment real estate. My specialty um, was and is multifamily. And we did 1031 exchanges and things were going great. Things were really Mm -hmm. on the up. And we had an opportunity to kind of ride that wave until the 08 crash. And then we went from making a little bit of money to almost nothing overnight. And as a part of that journey, my wife and I were saying, you know, do we really want to stay in this real estate game? Yeah. Um, do I want to get the side hustle or do we want to get a uh, real job, if you will, maybe kind of the nine to five? And that's where we made some hard decisions. And one of the hard decisions was number one, we'd move into my brother into, with his small condo and we would cut our expenses down to the bare bones. And mm-hmm. I would continue to work at Marcus and Milichap because I was learning and growing and I was learning so much. And so I, I felt called to stay in that 100% commission, you know, multifamily brokerage position. But at the same time, I had to keep the lights on. And so I did what every good entrepreneur wannabe does. You get a side hustle. My side hustle was Mark, was a place called Cheesecake Factory, where I, I was a server nights and weekends. And so mm. I worked about 70-hour weeks, six, seven days a week. 
and burned a candle both ends for two years to keep the dream going. Now, while I was going through this financial struggle to keep the lights on and my wife, our baby, first baby being born, my clients are going through a different financial struggle. And their struggle was having to face losing half or all of their wealth within a three-year period from 08 and 2011 through a lot of investment real estate that was over-leveraged, that they had overpaid for, and they had no liquidity, no diversification. And so they were losing the very thing that they put their trust in that gave them the freedom. And the very people who were telling them, I was one of them to do 1031 exchanges and swap until you drop and then get a stepped up basis was the end all be all. And that's mm-hmm. going to solve the challenges for your financial freedom and for your future of your family. But we found out very quickly that the 1031 exchange was actually the enemy at that point. And it wasn't their friend. And we studied this and it came to a story of a client I was working with. He had $50 million of multifamily real estate. He's in his mid 40s. He'd built up his wealth for many years, started as a real estate agent and then moved into a syndicator. But he was 80% leveraged and he not only lost his all of his properties, but he went bankrupt, lost his house, lost his marriage. And so we said, there's got to be a better way. And that better way we did learn was something called a deferred sales trust. Now, this is fast forward to 2009, right in between there. I learned about this. I'm still at Cheesecake Factory. And we sat in the Marcus and Milchap office in Sacramento saying, if this is true, this will change everything. Mm-hmm. This will be the Netflix to the blockbuster way of exit planning. This will provide the freedom and the diversification and what we call optimal timing that will change the way wealth is built forever. Why doesn't everyone know about this? Seems like it's too good to be true. But I guess I was curious enough, maybe desperate enough just to give it a shot to see what people would think. And so I started to call, cold call my clients, started to cold call new investors, new owners, CPA firms. And really just started to wrestle with what this thing was and what was possible. And fast forward, I was able to retire from the Cheesecake Factory. My wife and I have five kids now. She was able to stay home full-time with our kids, one of our passions. Awesome. And now I just coach and train and close deals about every week. And I train some of the best commercial syndicators across the country on how to use this, what it is, how it works, why it's legal. So hopefully they can deliver more freedom for their clients and their partners and everyone else that's you know trying to build wealth in a way that makes a lot of sense. That is awesome, Brett. Well, what an exciting journey, man, from the upbringing that you had to the divorce that kind of changed the whole trajectory to then actually being a server at a cheesecake factory. So you've definitely seen a lot of highs and lows, right? So before we go into the technicality of what a DST and what a 1031 exchange is, I'm actually more interested in learning about the state of mind, right? Because a lot of people, I mean, you could have gotten two ways which is usually the case. You could either gone too depressed, you can go in a direction where my life sucks and everything, the victim mentality, or you pick the route of a victor, like, let me try to take the bull by the horns and try to figure out how to make the best out of the situation that we are in. So what was your state of mind? If you could actually take us back. Yeah, the state of mind was, I felt called to mm-hmm. stay exactly where I was at. I'm a Christian, I have faith in God, and my faith was... I felt like that was the right place for me, even though monetarily speaking, it wasn't fruitful, right? At the yeah. time, it was, yeah. it was really, you know, one year I made like $25,000. Like it Ooh. was really humbling. Wow. In fact, I think it was a period of that desert financially that really helps to define, you know, uh, my wife and I, our character for our marriage, our future and what we want and our vision to be. And it was during those time frames that it gave me the opportunity to grow and to persevere. And so as much as it was my mindset, it was our collectively our mindset for our marriage and for our future that if we can grow and learn now, we can delay gratification and push through these challenges that it will pay off in the future. You know, you sow what you reap yeah. and we wanted to 
really make sure that we were sewing into, you know, character, personal development, leadership, of course, commercial real estate underwriting and IRRs and 1031 exchanges and really learning from clients. Yeah. I mean, my favorite part of this whole thing that I get to help people with their wealth is that I get to become a part of their dream team to help them structure and exit what's so big for, their, for themselves and their family legs. They also had a chance to play college basketball on scholarship. And mm-hmm. I always just love working on teams. I love helping people. I love solving problems. You know, I, I think we get paid in direct proportion to the level of problems we can solve and the level of service we can provide for people. And so that was really what my focus was, was how can we just solve problems and help people and use the gifts I was given to do that. And that meant, I think sometimes, you know, the world, God, society, it challenges us in these periods of, of the storm or the desert to see if you're going to persevere and press through. And looking back, those are all the pieces. The same thing with the parents' divorce, right? If you actually think about it. At one point, I was 16 years old and I was really angry because I started to ask the questions and find out what actually happened and what was going on. Like, hey, why why can't we afford a car? Why do we have to live with grandma? You know, why do we have to move out of the Bay Area to Sacramento, a little more low cost? You know, you know all these kind of things. When you're eight or nine, or, you know, six, seven, eight, when, when everything happened with the divorce, you don't ask those questions. But my mom gave me an opportunity to, to make a choice. You can be angry and you can point fingers or you can, you know, love your dad, be grateful for all the amazing things that he instilled in you, hard work, being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, love for real estate. And he would always spoil us and take care. He had the Harleys and the boats and all the stuff. And so we would go right. hang out with him during the summers and build houses. And so... You know, it's not always just 100% bad or good. It was all oh. the things you could be grateful for. And so I think that was a part of it, was just choosing to be grateful, knowing there's a higher calling, and and persevering through to do whatever it takes to keep that part of myself growing in my career. And by the way, that's what ultimately led to learning about the Deferred Sales Trust, which has ultimately led to why we're here today. So all of these things happen for a reason, and I don't think they're by accident. And yeah. I just feel grateful to be able to part of uh, people's lives to help them create and preserve more wealth. Well, Brad, that's a great attitude, man. I think that's the attitude we're trying to instill in even myself and our listeners, right? Because life is going to kick you. It's a matter. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And in those moments of down is when your true character rises up, right? And I'm glad that I'm actually very. I'm not amazed, but I'm glad that I'm not surprised, but amazed that your mom actually instilled the behavior of let's look at the positive side, right? You can complain or you can say, I'm grateful for this, this and that. And that actually, I'm hoping that has a lot of role to play into who you are as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a problem solver, as a dad, as a husband, that trait probably shows up in everything. So thank you again for sticking through it because DSC is important, right? So now let's take it forward. So now you were a broker, commercial broker? Yes, multifamily commercial broker. Yeah. Multifamily commercial broker. And of course, at the time up until 2008 was great. And then when the GFC hit, of course, everything shifted for everybody, right? So in that moment, how did the DST come to you? So actually, before we go there, let's actually take a quick segue into you said one thing, which is 1031. And it's important for folks to understand what 1031 is. And now we have a motto, no investor left behind. So we want to make sure we simplify it. So can you explain 1031 in a very simple term, yeah. the concept, and then at least people will be able to build that bridge to DST? Sure. Yeah. Whenever you have a complex, complex, a complex potential subject, you always want to just do a kind of like bridge. And a kind of like bridge right. is something that you might already know. So most people already know an IRA or a 401k. 
These are tax deferral, you know, tax codes that the government allows us to do for retirement. So the 1031 exchange is kind of like an IRA or a 401k. And that if you delay gratification or you delay the payment or delay the distribution from you at the close of escrow and you move the funds into another piece of property, you trade it or exchange it if is really the term, you're able to defer the capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. And so let's say you had a $3 million property that you bought for a million and you're in tax California, it's a $2 million gain, which is used 40% as the capital gains tax and depreciation recapture state, federal, and Obamacare. It's about an $800,000 tax. And so instead of paying that tax and taking it all and just using it on personal primary homes or just spending on entertainment, the government says, you know, we want to encourage you to roll that into another piece of property and improve that property and own that property. And so if you, if you trade all 3 million and move into another piece of property, we'll defer all, we'll allow you to defer that tax until you take distributions or payments um, from that. And so it's just a way to defer tax, to grow wealth. It's amazing. It's one of the best kept secrets. Not really a secret anymore. Definitely was 10, 20 years ago, but they make a whole lot of sense. But there are some challenges. You have to identify within 45 days what you're going to buy from the time you close. You have to close within 180 days. You mm-hmm. also have to take on equal or greater debt, equal or greater value of the property is sold. It also only works for investment real estate. It doesn't work for primary homes. It doesn't work for cryptocurrency. Right. It doesn't work for business sales. And that's where the deferred sales trust comes in because it works for all of those assets, not just the one singular commercial real estate asset. Yeah, perfect. So I think it's very, very, in K through 12 terms, if you have a real estate that you made profits in, capital gains in, you really have two options. Either you take those distributions from profit and pay the taxes, or you do what is called a 1031, a like exchange property that you go buy another real estate, which is like kind, to make sure that you roll all the profits into that. So you don't take any distributions. If you didn't take any distributions, you don't pay any taxes, right? That's really in a very simplistic term what 1031 is, as Brett was talking about. There are stipulations, there are time restrictions, there are other things that you have to make sure you stick within, right? So you are doing a 1031. What actually made you think about DSTs? Because the time that you were in, if you go back to the GFC, there were really no capital gains that were happening, right? So chances are people were probably losing values on their properties, right? So why was that shift? How did you even encounter? What question were you asking? that DST was the answer for? Because it was not just a capital gain problem. So help us understand that. Yeah, so it really had to do with optimal timing because we repeatedly would hear the same thing, Socket. Hey, I'd love to sell, but I need to have my 1031 lined up. Hey, I'd Mm. love to list and sell with you, but go find me my upleg first. Hey, if you find me my upleg, I will list and sell. And it was this constant thing of the chicken or the egg. And we would say, well, Mr. Seller, you know, respectively, if we can find your deal, we've already have found it and you'd already have sold. But if we find the deal that you want, guess what? Someone else who's already at the plate in an exchange right. is going to buy it. So it's always this thing where we can extend escrow. We can build in these options. We can do a Delaware statutory trust. You know, all these different things that we're doing these songs and dance to get what's called optimal timing in place. But guess what? 2006 in seven, there's people looking, going, cautious. Yeah. Like there's some things that are kind of crazy here. And in fact, the story that changed it for me was a gentleman in 06 who used the DST to sell high and buy low. Because our parents taught us to sell high and buy low, not sell high and buy higher 180 days later with more debt, less liquidity, less diversification, and a higher rate, higher interest rate and lower cap rate arbitrage. And we're seeing the same thing happen right now. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of scary because people are yeah. don't know what the deferred sales trust and they're going out there and they're hoping that rent's going to continue to increase and they're going to hope that they can just you know do the things that they've always done. But 
because they feel trapped by that tax. And so they're almost taking, they're taking that risk. And so this is kind of like deja vu in some ways, mm-hmm. other ways it's, it's completely different. But the point was we wanted to show people how to sell high and buy low. And that's what the deferred sales trust unlocks. So back to this gentleman, he sold a $20 million deal in uh, Minnesota. And five years later, that same property was foreclosed on. And the bank calls him up and says, Hey, do you want to buy this back? He says, well, maybe what's the price? They say 60 cents on the dollar. Hmm. So the deferred sales trust was so unique about it. You can partner with the trust at any time. The next day it closes, two years from now, five years from now, and you can buy back with a new depreciation schedule property, all tax deferred, not using a 1031. And this socket is when our brains explode and we were at Marcus and Millichap. We thought we were the ninjas of investment real estate, 1031s, and that sounds too good to be true. Everyone will be doing it. Mm -hmm. All of the things that start to flood your brain and why people aren't still doing as much as we think they would be, right? right? Although there's been thousands of closes, 27-year track record, billions of assets sold using it, over 20 no-change IRS audits. It's literally batting a 1,000, but it does take a select few, we call Navy SEALs, that are specialists in this area to make sure you don't mess it up, right? And it takes a team of professionals to work together. But long story short, he bought it back at a discount. He did exactly what our parents taught us to do, all tax deferred, not using a 1031. And it's when you understand that each individual step of how it works, it's actually very simple. It's just an installment sale. He basically said, hey, instead of doing a 1031 into a $20 million property, I'm going to carry back paper for this trust and let the buyer buy the asset and go do what he's going to do. And in the meantime, he put it into stocks, bonds, mutual funds, conservative stuff, by the way, not subject to the big crash. He wasn't trying to hit a home run there. And basically, he just sat in a safe harbor, mm-hmm. diversified portfolio, out of debt. Then when the property values dropped, he was able to have the funds sent to an LLC to buy that old asset. You can buy any asset you want, by the way. We did a deal for a client out of Alabama for $2.6 million, a business sale, and then he used six seven 700000 to build multifamily units in Tennessee, all tax deferred. Okay? Yeah. We did a crypto sale. for uh, She bought it for $50,000, went to $50 million. She exited five at $54,000 a coin. She used four of the five just to fund her next tech startup business. So it's very flexible with how you can invest it, where you can invest it, and best of all, when you can invest it. So what we were really trying to solve was that timing, which is the number one thing why people don't like the 1031 blockbusters, like showing up on a Friday night and you got that movie, you may or may not got it or maybe checked out, you have to return within three days. Along came Netflix and everything changed. So the deferred sales trust is like Netflix, and then it gives you that optimal timing as the primary thing, and then there's other things to build around that as well. So... Of course, Brett, you're a master at the subject. So, of course, whatever you're saying is flowing so naturally from you. But I want to break it down, right? So let's actually, again, simplify things. So the two problems that 1031 that you were trying to solve for, one is it's only available for real estate. Right? That's Investment right. real estate. It's not, it's not available Investment. for primary it's homes. Real, that's yeah, correct. and so we do primary home sales too, right? And, and we do crypto businesses, Perfect. you know, yeah. So that was one problem. The second real problem, which is actually a much larger problem, is the time restriction. Right? So, and, and we'll make it real for folks. So when the market's going up, everyone's selling. The buy and sell is happening too fast in the market, right? So the chances are, and the, the time restriction is within 45 days, you have to identify. And at 1031, within 45 days, you have to identify. And within 180 days, which is six months, you have to close it. Right? So that's just to give people perspective. If you don't identify a property within the first 45 days, you cannot bring a new property in. Right? You have to close the ones that you have identified. Now, what happens when the market is going up? It's fine. 
right? Because chances are the transaction, the capital markets are frothy, everything is fine, your debt is approved, there's properties on the market because everyone's trying to cash out, right? They want to back their profits. So there's a lot of transactions happening back and forth and everyone's feeling good. So chances of you meeting that 1031 timeline is fine. Most of us are not in that timeline forever, right? Most of us will have to sell the property when we don't want to, when the market is down, right? Something is happening in the capital market, the debt's being called off or whatever. So in those moments, which is which we are in now, right? we're in that cycle right now, that if you want to capture your profits today, you may not have another property to buy, right? Because most folks, if you don't need to sell right now, people are not selling right now, right? There's lesser transaction volumes that are happening. So now you come into a point where you can't even get out of a deal. The only way to get out of a deal in a profitable manner is to pay taxes, right? And now this is a big premise and we can have a separate conversation on that, that should you pay taxes or should you not pay taxes, right? We're not saying it's a we're tax avoidance strategy. Any strategy that we're talking here is always tax deferral strategy. Now they can roll into a tax avoidance, which is a separate conversation, but we're basically saying we're pro, we will be paying taxes at some point, right? So we're just deferring it. So now what we're saying is, okay, now we have a problem in the current situation. If I have a property, which is one of my investors has, has that condition, that they have banked about $2 million in capital gains, that's a conversation you and I had a few weeks ago, right? So this person has sold the property, but he can't find a deal right now because most people are not selling the deal that he's interested in. So now what we do at that point is he has two options, pay the taxes or actually put it into an instrument like a deferred sales trust, DST. Now the DST, you have to be careful the word DST is also used for Delaware statutory trust. We're not talking about that. We're talking about deferred sales trust, right? Which Brett is an expert at. So what now we're doing is we're parking the money. We take that $2 million of my investor's money. We park in the DST, deferred sales trust, and we basically use that as a mechanism to sit and wait. But while we're waiting, we're still invested, right? We're already, just like a 1031, we're not paying taxes on that profit anymore. We're basically, through the DST, we have avoided the tax payment up front. And when the market timing is right, maybe six months, maybe nine months, maybe two years, we don't know when the market's going to be on the uptick, where the, where the properties are going to be on the discount. That's the time my investor is going to be able to cap use that funds to buy that property right so just a cycle of that is very important i want to make sure or my investor could say i'm tired i'm done with real real estate i'm never going to do real estate again i just want to do crypto for example right 1031 doesn't give you that option you have to go from real estate investment real estate to investment real estate but a dst can give you an option of you can go from real estate to crypto you can go from crypto to real estate you can go from crypto to a venture capital funding, you can go anywhere, right? The permutation combinations are, you can pick from one asset class, you can go to unlimited number of asset classes, right? That's really where the, the premise of DST is, that you're breaking the boundaries of being in a real estate asset class, investment real estate asset class, to opening up the aperture and removing the time restrictions. Brett, I want to make sure that I'm not mischaracterizing anything. Did I say it correctly, what DST is? You did. Yeah, you nailed it. And it's really clarifying, you know, if you're listening to this, what your wealth plan is, you know, having a capital and a tax flow mindset. Most of us have a cash flow mindset or just, you know, we're building capital, building equity, which is great. But what about your tax flow strategy? And mm -hmm. who's the team to help you get there? 
because taxes are going higher? And what's the strategy that's going to become the cornerstone to unlock the freedoms you're looking for? And that could be location freedom, time freedom, 1031 exchange freedom, or having a rescue mm -hmm. plan in case your 1031 fails. It could be estate tax challenges. We can eliminate 40% of the death tax without having to buy a bunch of life insurance or give it all the way to charity or have 50 kids to gift it away. It could be a chance to simply relax for a while, you know, but you mm -hmm. can be entrepreneur or you can be passive. The challenge with the Delaware 1031, and we do those too, by the way, and there you have their place for when we use them. A, they only work for investment real estate because they're part of the 1031 family. But B, you give up all control, all liquidity, all diversification yeah. for typically five, seven, or 10 years. And they're typically not value-added properties. And so once you understand the nuances of what's below the surface versus just, ah, oh, just 1031 and defer your tax, you want to do the same mm -hmm. thing with the deferred sales trust, Ah, use the deferred sales trust, but what can I unlock to make this thing an investment, not right. an expense? How can I have the freedoms I'm trying to achieve? How can I invest into passive you know, real estate deals with the trust, also into the stock market or be active or a mixture of all three? That's where the transformation happens and the freedom happens. And it's a powerful, amazing way to create and preserve wealth. And um, yeah, that's what we love to do. They're awesome, Brett. Brett, so I know the instrument is very powerful, right? So let's actually now break down the... I'm the client. So let's say I actually have $2 million available, right? That I just sold a real estate deal and I want to deploy it now. And I, I'm about to fail my 1031 exchange. How does that process look like? Like what happens and who's involved and how many days? Can you give us some breakdown on what that looks like? Yeah. Number one, hopefully you've already contacted us and you're working with us with your 1031 exchange. And you're working with us, with the accommodator that we work with to make sure that we have the proper exchange language inside of your, it's a defeasance language for the deferred sales trust inside of your exchange agreement is step number one. So if you're listening to this, please, please, please contact us so we can get all of that set up. This is just an option. You don't, you don't pay for the deferred sales trust unless you use it, but by all means, do not get in the spot where you're with an accommodator who will not accommodate either because they don't know the deferred sales trust or they don't want to know it or they have all of their misgivings about it, right? Brad, what's the a rule of an accommodator? A 1031 exchange accommodator is to be able to hold the funds for a 1031 exchange and help follow the guidelines in order to execute the movement of the funds. So instead of going to your personal account, you're able mm -hmm. to keep the deferral going and what's called avoiding constructive receipt or actual receipt of the funds. That's what their role is. So you want to make sure that we have that in place now, let's assume that you didn't have that in place and you're listening to this now. You're like, ah, my funds are accommodated right now. Does that mean it's too late? No. Contact us and we could probably, well, I know we can, we can work with your accommodator. Whether or not they will work with us is another question, right? So I get calls all the time, Saka, and this is the worst call. Hey, I'm with such and such exchange accommodator, one of the big, big 500 pound gorillas, mm -hmm. and they won't accommodate. They don't even want to talk to us. They won't talk to us. Right. They won't go through it. And I ask them like, why? Like, they're not the ones responsible for the tax. You are, right? And it's your choice. What do they matter if you do a Delaware statutory trust or a 1031 exchange or deferred sales trust? But some of the big ones just will not accommodate. And so we just never use them ever again. So that's the first thing. So hopefully you want to work with somebody, but let's assume that they are amenable and some of them will be. Then we can work with them to put language inside of your agreement. Now we want to look at the time frame of, of the exchange. But typically on day 46, if you have not identified anything or de-identified, we can move into the deferred sales trust or basically day 180, day 181, when the exchange is about to fail, we can do fees into the deferred sales trust. Every deal is a little bit different. It's customized, mm -hmm. but that's why we work on a 100% conditional engagement agreement with the tax attorneys 
to make sure that we could execute. And if we don't execute, you don't pay us on the deferred sales trust. Got it. Got it. So now let's actually deconstruct the DST itself, the making of the DST, right? So how does it look from an outside? And if you were to draw some boxes for us, so there's, uh, let's talk about how many, who's involved as an actor. So of course, the investor who just has uh, capital gains to say, to help with, then the trust itself, the DST, who else is involved? Is there a trustee? Is there a beneficiary? How does that structure at a very high yeah, level? Cool. Yeah, great question. And I'm actually going to just share my screen here if that's okay. Let's see what happens if I'm able to share this thing. I don't know if we'll be able to share it, but let's try that because a lot of people are going to be listening right. into it. So you may have to talk, yeah. talk through it. Talk us through you it. You can see it. Yeah, I'll still talk through it, but I don't know if you can see that or not. So yeah, there's really three parties involved. There's the trustee. That's our company, Capital Gains Tax Solutions. We're a third-party unrelated trustee. There's the tax attorney. Okay. And then there's a financial advisor. Okay. And then your role is the note holder. And so you have assets to sell. And let's just say you're going to sell it for $10 million to a cash buyer. And the cash buyer can come with a loan, can pay all cash. We don't care how they come with cash. We're just not going to finance them. We're going to ask you, the seller, to finance the trust. That's a brand new trust that only does business with you and your spouse if you're married. And it can be passed to kids and continued on for multiple generations, okay? So let's just say it's a zero basis, zero debt, $10 million gain. It's about, a, you live in tax of four or New York, you're about to pay $4 million of tax. Right before close of escrow, when we have already set up the trust inside of the purchase and sale agreement as an option, you're going to sell your interest and or your asset to the trust for $10 million, except you as the note holder are going to take back a promissory note, meaning you're going to get a zero down payment and you're going to 100% finance the trust. The trust is going to turn around and sell it to the cash buyer for 10 million. Therefore, the trust establishes a new basis. It's sold for 10 mm -hmm. and it bought for 10. So it has no gain. And the money goes into the trust. The buyer takes the title of the property. He's gone or she's gone, and there's 10 million sitting in the trust that's owed back to you. So what you basically did is you exchanged your ownership for a promissory note, which is not unlike anything that you might have done with a regular installment sale. This is why our foundation goes back, you know, 90 years is the tax code. We've been doing the deferred sales trust for 27 years, and it's actually not that complicated. You're just doing an installment sale <laughs> with a third-party trust, with a third-party trustee. By the way, guess what an exchange is? third-party accommodator. What are you doing yeah. there? You're giving up the funds for a period of time. Oh, the difference is they don't pay you interest. On our side, we pay you interest. So we're kind of like a long-term 1031 company, kind of like an IRA, mm -hmm. kind of like a 401k and that you're delaying the tax, you're delaying the payment, you're deferring it, and you're letting that full 10 million build and work for you, invest it. And typically most sellers, uh, creditors in this scenario will just live off the interest payments and they'll pay ordinary income tax on that. Yeah. And they'll keep the 10 million in the trust as the full balance and they'll never dip into that. And they can if they want, so they'll pay tax, but they'll just live off typically a six, seven, eight percent interest rate. Okay. And they'll pay ordinary income tax on that. Right. But better than that, they can partner with the trust to go buy more properties and get up to 80 to 98% of the upside, the way that we structure it, when you're an active owner with the trust. And so you're not mm -hmm. just tied to just being passive. You can actually yeah. be an entrepreneur. And that's where we, we really help you to unlock what this thing can do and the ROI and why it makes sense. 
So, Brad, let me again, you know, by now, I like to key through 12 everything, right? So, simple. So, I'm, I'm going to walk through steps really quick. So, what you're basically doing is you are assigning the ownership of your asset, let's say a real estate or a crypto or whatever, to a third party, which is a Delaware, no, sorry, it's a Deferred Sales Trust, DST. Now, the DST is basically then selling the property to the buyer, correct? Is that correct? Yes. That's correct. Okay. So now let's talk about some things which there's going to be tons of questions, right? But one key question is going to be the DST is a third party by definition, right? And that's the only reason you can avoid taxes. Otherwise, you won't be able to avoid taxes. So if it's a DST is owned by a third party, how do I, as an investor, have any control in there? What's the risk there? What's the risk there for me? Because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose control. Yeah, good question. So as a creditor, you have all the rights and protections of a lender. So Saken, is the bank concerned if they loan you $10 million for your multifamily property that you're not going to pay them, that they don't have the right to foreclose, Mm -hmm. to take the asset, sell the asset and get paid? So the better question is, what kind of rights and protections do I have? Do the funds ever move without my protection or or, or my, my approval? No. Do, are the funds invested and I have 24-7 access to view the funds online uh, for all of the liquid investments? Yes. Can mm-hmm. the funds be invested into my own deals or deals of partners that I know and like and trust? The answer is yes. And as a right, all the rights and protections of a lender, you have those. If the promissory note is not performing, you have a right to call the note. And by right, the investments must be sold and you'll be paid back. And so the collateral really is the most important question. What mm-hmm. is the collateral secured against? Because what's really interesting, Socket, is a lot of people will have this objection. And then I'll ask them, well, if you had a $10 million multifamily property, would you carry paper for the buyer? And they say, yeah, I probably want a more of a down payment, right? They want to do mm-hmm. 100% financing. But I say, would you be concerned that if they didn't pay you, you couldn't, you know, you don't have the protections to get your money back and get your asset back? They say, no, I just foreclosed. It's an installment yeah. sale. They're like, exactly right. Now, here's the difference. We can secure it against the biggest companies in the world. The collateral can be Home Depot, Walmart, Google, Apple. Mm-hmm. It, it could be commercial real estate syndications. It could be lending funds. It could be development funds. It could be right. your own deals that you're partnering with. It could be a number of things that the key is we can diversify. So instead of having all your eggs in one basket and caring for a single buyer who may or may not run your property into the ground, who may or may not, you have to foreclose on him or her, yeah. right? You have the opportunity to spread your risk across multiple investments and then also dollar cost average. And this is why we're like Netflix. And so you have the rights and protections of a lender Mm -hmm. and funds never move without your approval or your signature. And we also use a third party financial advisor. Here's the important part. And they typically are um, investing some of the funds with your approval, right? Into, you know, conservative portfolio of liquid investments, stocks, bonds, mutual funds of your approval, and they're third party, all the reporting there and all of those mm-hmm. things. And so all of those checks and balances to me actually makes Perfect. it more secure. If that makes sense. Now help me understand this, right? So the promissory note, so let's say I put $2 million in the DST. The promissory note is $2 million because that's the promise. Now that value of the DST in the next 10 years grows to $20 million because of the investments and the holdings that we have. Is my promissory note still $2 million? Like what's my claim to the additional $8 million that's created within the DST? Yeah, the question or the, or the thought would be, hey, am I giving up all of the upside? Like if I put $2 million into Apple stock and it goes to $20 million in 10 years, like how do I get the upside? And the answer is it depends. 
So if, and by the way, we'd always diversify. And that's part of the tenets of what we do is to not over-concentrate and put it all into a single stock or a single property. Sure. So by nature, we're going to diversify. But number two, let's just say we diversify and everything just 10Xs, right? If you purchase an option, you can purchase an option to carve out the upside. So up front, you could say, hey, I, want, I think this 2 million is going to go to 20 million or whatever amount of million. I want the option to carve out the upside personally. So you can buy the option. Most people will buy the option though when they partner with the trust mm-hmm. to go do other deals because those are the deals they think they're going to get the home runs on, right? Sure. And so, for example, let's say there's $2 million in the trust and you put $1 million into a, an LLC to go buy an apartment complex or something over here. You might buy an option and the option is for a 10-year term is $15,000. For a five-year term, $7,500. And if within that time period, basically that asset, if you partnered with the trust goes you know, through the roof, you can get 80 to up to 98% of the upside, the way that we structured the deal. And so, yeah, there's definitely ways to do that. And that's part of our job too. Our job is not to yeah. try to make a bunch of money on the upside. Our job, we do make recurring fees. That's our, that's our revenue. That's our model here. But our role is to try to give you all of the good, all of the potential challenges, all the things you want to look out for. And then build the wealth plan around that. And then if you really are concerned about the upside, you have an option to purchase an option to cover out the upside. Got it. Now, we were talking about, Brett, you mentioned that, of course, you're, you're not doing this for free. Right? You're definitely, there's the charges, the fees that need to be involved. Could you break it down for us, what those fees are? Yeah, what are the deferred sales trust fees? There's really two sets of fees. Okay, The first set is the one-time fee paid to the tax attorneys my business partners who provide lifetime audit defense, the 27-year track record. They're brilliant. I, the gentleman who created this, I believe he's the Elon Musk of tax and CPAs. All of that. Okay, He's a genius. He's great. They provide the lifetime audit defense. They charge 1.5% on the first million okay. and 1.25% on anything above. Sure. So let's say it was a $2 million deal. It'd be $15,000 on that first million and it'd be $12,500 on that second million. That'd be the one-time fee. Okay. It's on the gross sales price. Sure. Now, whatever hits the trust account, let's imagine they had a million dollars of debt on that property and a million hits the promissory note for the trust account that we would charge about one and a half to 2% on a recurring basis. Okay. At the close, recurring. However, our goal is to typically net you six, seven or 8% net of those recurring fees. So say we're going for eight, we're going to try to go for 10 to try to net you eight. And that's on the passive side of things, unless you purchase the sure. option and do those other things, right? So that's what those are the general fees. There's some, there's some miscellaneous tax return fees, but basically one and a half to two percent on a recurring basis, and a one-time fee of basically one point five percent on a gross gross asset sale basis. Got it, got it. So I think what we're basically saying is, and let's just say if you were looking at a ten-year window, right? It's the cost could be somewhere about ten to twelve percent in recurring fee, versus you paying a forty percent tax upfront. While and that fees while you're making 8 to 9%, 8% net, right? You're still, your money is still growing. Is That's that part of why really we have minimum, right? So we have a million dollar net proceeds, million dollar gain is our minimum, right? Uh-huh. So it's got to be painful enough on the gain for the tax that's going to be paid Correct. To, to hire us to do this. This is also why we do it on a conditional basis. You only use it if, we want to get paid if it closes and if, and if you actually choose to use it up to even to the last minute. Sure. So yeah, it's got to make sense, right? And we found that it's somewhere between 25 and 50% of your gain is going to be taxed with capital gains tax and depreciation recapture. And so what we're saying is, yeah, if you have an extra 25 to 50% total amount to earn on mm-hmm. every year and year out. Of course, why not? 
So that's the first way to make it an investment, not an expense. Number two is when you buy a property, you get a new depreciation schedule. So this is cool, right? Imagine you own the asset for 10 million, went to zero depreciation. You did a 1031 for a property for 11 million. You only have $1 million depreciation on that new property. If you bought it for yeah. 10, you have zero. Well, if you buy that same property through the deferred sales trust for 11 million, let's say put in a $5 million down payment, you get a brand new depreciation schedule on that 11 million. Okay, and yeah. that's powerful because now, now you get up to 80% of it the way we structure it. We can't give you 100%, but that can that depreciation, that tax flow lost per year can offset a lot of the cash flow from that asset mm-hmm. and that can pay for it itself. Hopefully, you bought that asset instead of paying 11 for it, you bought it at nine because you waited to optimal timing, mm-hmm. right? And then hopefully, too, if you had a, an estate greater than 24 million married or 12 million single, you, you did the DST 2.0 and you moved the funds outside your taxable estate. Right. And so these all these kind of these, I guess you would call them little levers or a little ways to move this Rubik's Cube to make this thing an investment and not an expense. And once you understand how to unlock these things with our team, you say, oh my goodness, this is all an investment and not an expense, right? Versus just the one ROI most people think about is just the first one you said, but you really want to make sure you understand all of those ROIs. And that's what really creates this machine to build wealth, not just to defer tax. Yes. So, Brett, it seems very powerful, right? Very powerful. Maybe at the onset, too good to be true. But of course, it's not because you guys have been doing it for a while and it's been there for a while. What are some of the resistance points you get from your, from some of your clients, right? Kind of like, what are their major concerns? Yeah, the biggest one I think we find is that people come in with a team and they're really smart, amazing CPAs, tax attorneys, commercial brokers, financial advisors that had never heard of it. And they never told them and they find us. And so now it's this transfer of trust. And we try to approach it to say, hey, it's not a transfer of trust. It's just unlock what's possible and allow us to come in and speak to your team. And nine out of 10, they all join us. Mm -hmm. But what happens is when time gets squeezed and you only have 30 days to close, 10 days to close, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden the person finds us on YouTube or on the podcast and they bring it to their people, their people are instinctively, they're like, if I say yes, and I'd never done it before, and it doesn't work out, now I'm the one to blame, right? I, the advisor. If I say no, and it doesn't work, then I'm the hero, right? Or at least I warned right. them. And so it's this tension between proprietary protected, people not knowing about it, and the client somewhere in between. Like we have one deal right now. It's a $150 million deal. It's a business sale out of the Midwest. And the guy's like, we had multiple calls, really excited. Things are going really well. And we have a lot of momentum. And all of a sudden, I get an email that says, you know, estate planning attorney has some concerns and some red flags. And it's like, mm-hmm. hey, no problem. Bring your red flags. Bring your challenges. I'm like, 99% of the time, they're really not... Once they talk with us, they're like, oh, they relax. And they're like, oh, this, this is great, right? And you have to realize, too, from the advisor standpoint, they can approach this stuff like this all the time. Correct. And most of it is too good to be true. And they don't have the yeah. IRS track record. They don't have the lifetime audit defense. So they think they have to defend it if the IRS comes knocking. And so there's no way they're going to back what they don't know they've never done. And so it's that right. transfer of trust. And so there's really two options. A, you can trust that your advisors are you know so cautious and conservative and just pay your tax and you lose anyways. right? Or yeah. you can transfer your trust or help to try to bridge that gap and bring us into the fold and all of us work together. Again, if we have enough time, nine out of 10, they all join us and it's great, but it's when time gets squeezed or number two, the advisor won't even join the call. Like sometimes we're really perplexed. Like what you're, mm. Yeah, there's times where it happens where they won't join or they won't sign the NDA 
or wow. they're just so close to it because they read an article online or a blog post or something. I'd say it's the rare occasion. And in that part, the client has to decide if he wants to just go with that person and pay your tax right. or you want to go here, or perhaps you want to rather just do a 1031 exchange. We can help you with that too, or Delaware statutory trust. So I'd say that's the biggest one is that transfer of trust. Now you're also trusting the trustee, right? Who's the third party unrelated trustee and get a chance to know us and talk with our clients. But more than that, we've had third party national law firms, you know, 55 year old CPA firms, former IRS agents that have looked at this in their tax attorneys, write Legal opinions, private letter rulings, you know, over 20, no change, no finding audits. Like it's literally batting a thousand. Like it's never lost, not one single time. But it's not the evidence of that. It's typically the story, Sock. And I'll give you one more story. And it's a gentleman named David Young. You can look him up. You can go to my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And David Young ran with a guy named Bill Gross. And these two guys built PIMCO with five other guys about 20 years ago from 80 billion to 1.2 trillion. If you're a commercial real estate a person like myself and Socket, you might be saying, what's PIMCO? Well, they're one of the biggest you know, money uh, managers in the world. Very well respected. So mm -hmm. these guys are world-class at what they do. Well, fast forward, they all retire from PIMCO. And then David and five other guys form a group called Anfield Capital. And then about five years ago, they get approached with the Deferred Sales Trust. They do a two-year due diligence, having their legal team review it. They look at it, talk to the clients, mm. go through everything you could imagine. Because guess what? These guys too thought it was too good to be true. And they, you know, they've heard a lot of stuff for a lot of years. And you can imagine people approach them with a lot of things because they're the best in the world at what they do. Yeah. And guess what they found after two years? Number one, that might be the smartest person we've ever met. And that's not me. It's a tax attorney who created it. And number two, we're all in. We'll be part of the DST inner circle and we'll manage capital for clients. Hmm. And so I asked everyone, Socket, who's listening to this, and people say, how can you be so confident and convinced about it? I'm like, because I've talked to the people who, right. who are the best at what they do, who have done serious NDA signed due diligence with their legal team for two years. And guess what? If it's good enough for David Young and his legal team, is it good enough for Brett yeah, Socket and whoever's yeah. listening to this, right? And I'll put you on the phone with David. We can go through it. And so that's what I challenge people with is not just to take the status right. quo because your advisor, perhaps the guy who helped you get from zero to a million or one to five million or five to 10 million, it's not the same guy to help you go from you know a 10 to $100 million. You might need to level up your team. And that mm -hmm. means leveling up you know, your, you know, all of the things that you're looking at, right? Level up your strategy. So these are all the things that we work with all the time, which is part of the challenge, but we enjoy. But we yeah. also want to work with people. We don't want to replace CPAs. We don't want to replace right. their tax professionals. We want to come alongside and weave the DST into their wealth plan. No, this is amazing. Brett, I know I want to respect for your time, man. I think this, I love hearing about DSTs. I know we have several conversations before. So we're coming towards the end of the show. We always end with two questions. Like one is, of course, you had an exciting career and many more exciting things to still still to unfold. But if you were to go back to your 16, 20-year-old self and you were asking those questions, right? That why, I, why do I not have this? Why do I not have that? What are some of the insights that you would share with them? Maybe top three insights to make their migration in life more intentional. Well, I had so many amazing people that poured into me. Not only my mom, I told you about her amazing older brother, yeah. older cousins that were like brothers, you know, basketball coaches, football coaches, baseball coaches, youth pastors, you know, sports played a big part of my life. So many great male figures that just poured into me, you know, didn't let me get by with anything, you know, pushed me to my best. And so that's the first thing. So get some great mentors and coaches in your life. And be humble to know enough that you don't know it all, A, and B, be humble enough to know that you can do it. 
you believe in what you, if someone else can do it, you can do it. And so I, my mom instilled that belief in me. So did my dad, that if someone else can do it, you can do it too. And just persevere, work harder yeah. than anybody else. But more than work hard, like learn to work. Number two would be work harder on yourself than you do on your job. A lot of us are just taught to get that degree, to just get that scholarship, to just get that mm-hmm. job or just close that deal. Or, and those are all external things. And those are good and they last for a period of time. But really the internal work is what's most important. Your leadership, your personal development, your faith, your fitness, your family, your friendships. These are the major things that drive and build your character. So learn to work harder on yourself than you do on the job, the external type of yeah. things. And if you work hard on your job, you'll make a living and there's nothing wrong with that. If you work harder on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And this quote is by Jim Rohn, the late Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn. Yeah. And it's not just about making money, although hopefully you make a bunch of money so you can help a lot of people. But that's typically the byproduct of your character and your growth and how you're serving people. But really, it's the fortune of your character and your legacy to pass on to your family <sighs> and pass on to those you're serving. So that would be the second one. The third one would be put your trust in God. You know, yeah. I believe we've all been given certain gifts and these gifts we give us to be a blessing, help to others. And knowing that it's something bigger than ourselves and we have an opportunity to be a light in this world, to me, it's like, put your trust there. For me, it's Jesus. He's my rock. He's my savior. You know, it's, and even when um, things are tough, if I'm focused on what he wants me to do, I have an internal peace that I really can't describe except for I've been through a lot of things in my life and he's been there for me. And so just put your trust, have faith and put your trust in God. Awesome. Brett, so... I know you're a man of faith. You made it pretty clear as well. So I'm pretty sure the next question you have probably have a very thoughtful answer already. What is one thing that humanity should migrate towards, right? Kind of like what's missing? Hmm. What's one thing that humanity is missing besides trusting in God? Yeah, besides trusting in God. You already already gave one insight. So besides that, what do you think humanity should migrate towards? Man, so... I think that everything rises and falls on leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that humanity should bring in and hold accountable and encourage and build up the best leaders in every single facet of society, whether it be government, whether that be teachers, whether that be real estate, or whether that be community leaders, whether that be coaches, and to really build amazing leaders that are focused on serving other people, building their gifts and being a blessing to their communities because without great leadership, everything falters, everything fails. And so we are lacking leadership at the maybe the highest levels in the history of the, you know, I've only been around almost 40 years. So what do I really know? But it just seems like, especially in America, the leadership has failed us. And it's just heartbreaking to think even the last 10 years that's mm-hmm. happening. So migrating towards building and encouraging and holding accountable the best leaders. Awesome. And on that high note, Brett, if somebody wants to get to know more about DST or have a connection with you, where do they find you? Yeah, you can go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. You can also search us on YouTube, Capital Gains Tax Solutions. You look for the new book coming out with Kevin Herringer from Shark Tank, who's a part of the book called Building a Capital Gains Tax Exit Plan. It'll be on, on Amazon in about 30 days or so. You can check out our masterclass, our mastermind more so. It's kind of a mix uh, where we're literally every single week on Fridays, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, we're taking live calls, live deals in a Zoom room, and we're wrestling with all of these questions and ways to help people live. So you can check that out by going to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com is the main space. You can find me on LinkedIn, Brett Swartz, on Instagram, Brett Swartz, and uh, it's B-R-E-T-T-S-W-A-R-T-S. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Brett. 
I know it took longer than what you what, what I planned for, so I appreciate you hanging with us. And, you know, DST is powerful. I have spent a bunch of time understanding it myself. And then I'm actually now directing my investors who have the 1031 problem, not just to real estate, but also, also to crypto or businesses. To now, my, my, I'm redirecting them to you. Well, on that note, thank you again, Brett. Appreciate it, buddy. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.